look at uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. I hope to show you from the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ how he moves us to desire these type of things. It's going to be very interesting because we're going to see that Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, in one sense, is a further elucidation or a further explanation of the parable of the sower. Remember at the end of the parable of the sower, he spoke about the 30-fold, the 60-fold, and the 100-fold increase? Well, there's a sense in which as you get to uh, uh, verses 21 through 25, what the Lord is going to do, he's going to, in one sense, show to you and me how we might find that 30, that 60, yes, even that 100-fold increase. And the way that it's done is by making use of the graces and the gifts, by making use of the teaching of the word of God, by making use of the ministry of the spirit upon your life here and now. We're going to see that God has so ordered things, the Lord Jesus Christ has so ordained things, that to challenge you this morning, what you bring to this service in a very large way determines what you bring, what you leave from the service with. If I can say it like this, if you bring a thimble this morning, you will leave with a thimble. If you bring a spoon this morning, you'll leave with a spoon. If you bring a bucket, well, you get the sense, don't you? And so what we're going to see is our Lord Jesus Christ, by way of his teaching in this parable, is going to show to us how we might increase that spiritual capacity uh, to do more for the glory of God. Last time we looked at Mark chapter 4, we didn't look at it last week. Last week we had our very happy time of uh, receiving new members in the church. We we took a look at Hebrews chapter 10, you remember, uh, the whole idea of of, uh, congregational responsibilities and pastoral responsibilities. But the week before that, we looked at uh, Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the sower, our Lord's exposition, our Lord's explanation of that parable. And you remember there that he, he, he described for us uh, the nature of the sower. The sower we saw was primarily the Lord Jesus Christ himself. A sower went forth to sow. And that's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ even going on today. That Jesus Christ, in the, through the preaching of the word, is still sowing the seed of the gospel. Secondarily, by way of an application, we saw that all gospel preachers are sowers of the seeds of the gospel. And that the gospel preacher is to do exactly that. He is to preach the word of God. And so we emphasize that. We also saw by way of a further extension and application that all of us, all of you, who make the gospel known within your families and within your circles, in a sense, you're sowing seed as well. And so in that parable of the sower, we saw again, first and foremost, the sower. We also saw, you remember, uh, the soils. Uh, and there were four types of, so I'm sorry, we, we also saw the seed itself. And you remember the seed is the word of God. And we emphasized at that point that that's what preaching is to focus on, the word of God. When you talk to your friends, you're, you're, you preach the gospel by bringing them to the scripture, by laying out before them uh, by way of precept or by way of principle, some biblical teaching. This is the, this is the seed You do your neighbors well by speaking to them the word of God. And so we have the sower and we have the seed. And thirdly, we saw the the soils. And and that's why it's interesting. Many people call this parable there in Mark chapter 4. They refer to it as the parable of the the soils. And the reason why is because when you look at it, there there are four types, at least four types of soil that we see in this passage of Scripture. You remember there's the, there's the, the wayside or the, the packed down soil. Uh, and you know the condition of that or the characteristics of that. 
that soil is so packed down by way of traffic that when the seed is sown on it, no seed penetrates. And the seed, sadly, is just it just it has no effect. Now, the second type of soil we saw, you remember, was the, uh, was the stony ground soil. And that soil was interesting in that because it was so shallow. When the, when the seed did come upon it, uh, it was able to spring up very quickly. But because there were underlying rocks... It sprung up, but, it, but the roots had no depth, and therefore it would spring up quickly, and it would die out quickly. It was very much a picture of what, how many people receive the gospel in our day. So oftentimes, people receive the gospel with great emotional energy. So many times, they're very happy to hear what is offered in the gospel, and they seem to make great strides at first. You, you observe them for a short while, and you think, this is going to work out great. There's going to be a great abundance of fruit in this person's life. But sadly, for whatever reason, underlying reasons that are oftentimes not seen on the surface, the word of God is sown, uh, the, this, the seed sprouts up very quickly, but then it withers very quickly as well. Well, the third type of soil you remember was the, that type of soil where the seed is sown and, and it springs up, sprouts come up. There are things that are happening but along with the coming up of the sprouts, there are all these weeds that choke out uh, the word of God. Well, this is, again, kind of that, uh, kind of that uh, picture of what many of our lives are like. Our lives get very cluttered, don't they? And our lives have certain priorities to them, too. And it's always the challenge of the child of God to make sure he or she prioritizes the word of God in such a way as to not allow the things of this world to choke it out. You always have something important to do. But you'll never have nothing more important to do than to give all of your attention to the glory of God. And if I can say it this way, this is, and I, I'm, 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 I'm saying this by way of an encouragement. I'm saying this by way of a commendation. Here you are on this Lord's Day morning. You've prioritized your day. Yes, there are other things I'm sure that you'll have to do uh, this day. There's a whole thing that we can look at by way of setting aside the Lord's day for the Lord himself. We can take a look at that maybe some other time. But here you are in this hour of worship. You've prioritized your time. Other things could have drawn you away, but you said, no, this is where the word of God is being preached, and this is where I want to be. Well, again, let me say this. This is excellent. But what we see in this parable of the, of the sower here is that sometimes these priorities choke out the word. Now stop and think here. Many of us come to church, and many of us, we're physically here, and we mean to be mentally here and spiritually here, but as a preacher preaches for 45 minutes, how many times does your mind dart in and out of the sermon? <laughs> I can make comments here. It, it, it happened. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's right. Um, so it darts in and out. And, and what we're going to see here today is that when our Lord is talking about that seed that does land on the good soil and then brings forth 30, uh, 60, and 100 fold, in verses 21 through 25, he's going to give an insight as to how we can take steps to try to make that happen in our lives. And I think when it's all said and done, there's a sense in which God is ordaining uh, what our lives are going to look like by way of a 30 or 60 or 100 fold. But let me say this, whatever God has ordained for your life never, never excludes you from being fully engaged in the opportunities that God has given to you. God never calls us anywhere to say, okay, sit on your hands now because it's all worked out. You never see that in the scripture. As a matter of fact, 
When we think that way, we're closer to that man in the parable of the talents who said, I knew you were a hard master and I was, af- I was afraid to do anything with these talents. And what does the master say? You wicked servant. You knew I was this way. And so again, our, our thinking about, well, this is all going to work out according to God's purposes never, never takes away from us the responsibility to be fully and actively engaged in the things that God calls us to do. Well, in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, verses 21 through 25, we're going to see the means by which our Lord shows us how this increased capacity uh, can take place. And he's going to do it, in, in a, he's going to do it in, the, in the form of a parable. And what's interesting about this section of Scripture, verses 21 through 25, is that our Lord Jesus is going to use expressions that he uses in other places in his teaching, but in other contexts. He's going to speak about a candle. And it's interesting because at least in one other place, maybe two other places, he uses a reference to a candle, but in a context that's different than what we have here in Mark chapter 4. He's going to to speak about uh, uh, the idea that nothing uh, can be hidden. And he's going to speak about it here in Mark chapter 4 in a way that's different than he does say in the Gospel of Luke. And what's interesting is that what we're seeing by way of this is that our Lord Jesus Christ did have certain expressions that he would use over and over again. And this idea of the light that cannot be hid is something that he spoke of quite often. This idea that nothing is hidden that shall not be revealed is something that he spoke about quite often. But here we're going to see how he uses it in this fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark to to once again elucidate or illuminate what he was saying about the whole idea of the increase of the 30, the 60, and 100 fold. And what I'm calling today here, this increase of spiritual capacity. Well, all this, uh, again, in one sense, uh, brings us back uh, to the primary doctrine that we looked at the week before last. And I hope you don't mind my, my extended review here. And if you, if you remember, what we said about the parable of the sower by way of its primary thrust was this, that all preaching, teaching, and reading of the Word of God is designed to bring within the life of the believer a fruitful response that brings glory to God. When the Word of God is read, It's not merely read to inform the mind. We understand that. It's not merely read to to just have interesting stories. Uh, Sometimes we'll read about how Jesus uh, in in, in his preaching uh, used parables and he told all these wonderful stories. Well, a whole lot more than just telling these wonderful stories. The idea of anything that the Lord Jesus Christ did was not just to tell a story. It was to impact the soul. And so when you're reading the word of God, the purpose for reading the word of God is that it might have effect upon you. When you're hearing the preaching of the Word of God, all preaching is designed, again, not to tickle the ears or the fancy. The the design of the preaching of the Word of God is literally, it's to move you from where you are to where the passage of Scripture is calling you to be. In one sense, we can make something of a distinction here between preaching and teaching. Teaching is just informing the mind. But preaching is moving the will through an informed mind. And so again, when it's all said and done, all of the, of the ministry of the word is designed uh, to work within us uh, uh, this change, this spiritual fruitfulness. And, and again, when we looked at that doctrine, we, we, developed it, uh, we developed it along these lines. John 15, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. Well, you see, as we come then to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 26, what we're going to see here is our Lord sets before us 
the very means by which this can happen. Well, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles now, and I apologize for waiting so long to read this passage of Scripture. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles now. Turn to Mark chapter 4, and we'll read together verses 21 through 25. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, and hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear, more shall be given. For he that hath to him shall, for he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Well, you see this passage of scripture. Then again, it might sound like just a like just a collection of uh, of independent statements that, that our Lord makes in other places. Uh, again, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. This this occurs eight times in the New Testament. You remember three times in the book of Revelation. This was a saying that was very near and dear to our Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, we might say this. He's always pressing upon his hearers to, again, make sure that you have ears to hear. He's always pressing upon us, again, to take care of what we hear and how we hear. And so it's interesting because sometimes uh, commentators look at this and they're saying, well, how does this all fit out? And I think some, what, they, what they're overlooking is the fact that our Lord, just like us, when we speak repeatedly, oftentimes we use those same ideas that come up in different ways and have different applications. And it's not to be unexpected that our Lord Jesus Christ is doing this as well. And that's what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture. But I want us to look at this passage of Scripture as it finds its location right after the parable of the sower. It has significance in being there. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the passage of Scripture from four perspectives. Our outline will contain four points this morning rather than the normal three. And what we're going to see here is, number one, we're going to see a word of instruction. Our Lord is going to give some instruction about the nature of light and about the nature of candle, the nature of truth. We're going to, we're going to see what he says. He's going to instruct us on this. Secondly, we're going to see a word of caution. And that's going to touch upon the fact of our Lord warning us or, or warning us to make sure that we give heed to what we hear. Thirdly, we're going to see a word of counsel. And what that word of counsel is going to be is, is, the, way, is the way in which we come to the hearing with what measure you meet. That same measure it will be meted out to you. And then we're going to have a word of clarification. And this idea of this principle of increased spiritual capacity. When you and I come to the word of God with an intention to hear and an, inten and an intention to do, you and I will find within us increased spiritual capacity. You'll leave the preaching of the word better than when you came to the preaching of the word. So we'll develop all these things as we work through. Well, the first thing I want you to see here is this word of instruction that the Lord Jesus Christ gives. Notice here in verses 21 and 22 of Mark chapter 4. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. Why is our Lord speaking this way now? Why is our Lord using this, uh, uh, this saying uh, that has to do with a candlestick and light and not hiding the light? What is this all about? 
Well, essentially what our Lord is doing, as I said before, he is purposely, this passage of scripture is purposely placed after the parable of the sower. Because you remember, he had begun to speak in parables for a very specific reason. Remember the opposition that he began to experience in, in Mark chapter 3 and the third chapter? Remember how the Pharisees uh, uh, were, were, were determined to put an end to him? Remember how the religious authorities came down from Jerusalem to make an evaluation of his teaching? Remember how, they, how they, the evaluation that they made? This man cast out demons by way of Beelzebub. And therefore now what begins to happen, there is an opposition that is set in to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Prior to that, from Mark chapter 1, repent, the time is fulfilled, repent and, and, and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. It was an open declaration of the kingdom of God, an open display of its power, an open display of its ability, an open display of everything that it meant. Now when opposition sets in, what our Lord begins to do is he begins to teach now by way of parable. And what's interesting by way of his use of parable is that you remember parable does two, at least two things. We talked about this a week and a, uh, two weeks ago. The parable does two things. Number one, the parable does illuminate. It does elucidate. It, do, it does give clarity. But secondly, the parable also serves to conceal truth to those whose hearts are not open to the truth. And that's why, and it's interesting because the way it conceals truth is not by creating open hostility to it, but the way it conceals truth, and listen to this because we probably have all been in this situation, we hate to say it. The way it conceals truth is that it just stops any further understanding of the idea. So that what's said by way of the picture of the parable, a sower going forth to sow, okay, but how is that connected to the kingdom of God? Have no idea. That's how the parable conceals. But to those whose hearts are opened, the kingdom of God is not what these religious leaders are saying it is. The kingdom of God is a principle of spiritual growth and change in the life of the individual who sees in Jesus Christ the king of that very kingdom. And so what the parable will not do, even in those who, in, in, to whom it is concealing truth, the parable will not incite open opposition because it just stalls them in their, in their intellectual understanding of it. Rather than opposing it outright, it just, like I says, it, it stalls them. Let me see if I can give you a quote here. Somebody that, uh, that can say this much better to me. This is uh, better than me. Now, this is taken from the old Princeton uh, theologian, B.B. Warfield. He says this, something of an extended quote. Please be patient with me. He says this, The impulse to use parables thus arises from wisdom and prudence and teaching, and not from a desire to conceal. He teaches in parables in order that he may teach, not in order that he may not teach. This method of veiled teaching in a word is forced on him by the conditions under which he is teaching and arises from the state of the mind of his hearers. It is not chosen by him in order to conceal his meaning, but in order to convey it to those to whom it is intended. It is with him either to teach thus or not to teach at all. And consequently, he teaches thus. And what he is saying here, because of the opposition is already settled in. We're early in the gospel. But the opposition is already there. And two options. Either he cannot teach, 
in order to complete his work, so to speak, in order to continue to go about doing his work, or he can teach by way of parable and then not only continue to do his work by way of his active ministry, but also continue to teach what the nature of the kingdom is. Listen to what he goes on to say. Um, the, uh, the, this is the fundamental doctrine of parabolic teaching. I do not say that it is the whole account to, get, to be given of it. We may see in the sequel that there is more to say and that the adoption of parabolic teaching has a punitive side as indeed it could not fail to have with reference to those who could and would not endure sound doctrine, whom it puzzled and therefore rather than instructed. But this is the fundamental account of it. And what he's saying is essentially this, that when the parable is given and when the parable is not understood, what his opponents are not going to be able to do is attack him for it. But they're not going to understand what he's saying about the nature of the kingdom. It is a very subtle and a very and 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 a, and a very wise uh, use of of teaching. Uh, again, I, I have to say that when I was reading this and preparing this, uh, and I, I don't mean to cast a, a small light on anybody. I want to give proper uh, reverence uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I even wonder if the Apostle Paul, in all of his wisdom, teached in the way that the Lord Jesus did with this masterly approach to unveiling truth and concealing truth, with, with this masterly approach of, of making open to those whose hearts are ready all the glories of the kingdom of God. So oftentimes in our preaching, we want to be as preachers, and oftentimes, well, sometimes hearers want us to be very bold and forthright in our preaching. There's nothing like hearing preaching that's black and white and not all these kind. You know, I have a saying sometimes it's one thing to be nuanced. It's another thing to drift into nonsense trying to be nuanced. And that's what happens sometimes. We try to qualify things by a thousand qualifications. We end up saying nothing. But, you know, you don't see that with the Apostle Paul. But look at our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, these subtle lines, these, these fine approaches to deal with the hearts and souls of, of, uh, of those who are hearing him. And there's a sense in which what we can say about a parable is this. A parable really is just like what we saw the seed in the, in the parable of the sower. I want to say that again. The, a parable is just like what we see in the parable of the sower in this way. We see the seed. Okay, we get it, a seed. Don't necessarily know what that seed's going to be, but you know we know if we plant it and if everything works right, it'll it'll grow. Something will grow there. And a parable is often the same way. We see it on the surface, and it drops. Hopefully, at least into the mind, we see what it is. We we understand parable. It's a story. It's a it's an earthly story to tell a spiritual truth. We we get that, and then it kind of goes into our mind. And we say, oh, that's what he meant by it. Oh, that the parable means A, B, and C. Okay, we get it. Is that the effect of a parable, just to make you understand what a story was all about? Absolutely not. You see, that parable, like the seed of the Word of God, has to sink down, not just into the mind, but down into the depths of the soul and the heart. And then that parable has to bring change in the life. You see, the, the way you know you understand a parable isn't that you can unlock what might be a riddle but that what is being taught has actually made an effect in your life. Are you better for hearing that parable? 
Are you more inclined to make sure that there is nothing under the surface that maybe you and I don't even see concerning ourselves? And to do a thorough work of breaking up this hardened ground. And to make sure that the Word of God has full effect. And to make sure that when I come to hear the Word of God, I come with a purpose to hear. Not, with, not, not just with a purpose to be here. And so again, the parable... And it's and it's and it's sowing the parable and it's entering into the mind the parable and it's sinking down into the heart the parable now bringing forth fruit some sixty some thirty some a hundredfold and our Lord again is at this point in verses four through twenty one to bring all this out it's interesting because he's making sure that we understand that the nature of a parable is not primarily to conceal it has a concealing aspect to it but that's not the nature of it primarily. A candle isn't lit in order to be hid. You get it now? You see, the parable, it is, you know, and again, so oftentimes we talk about, and it's amazing how many times the passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 6 comes up in the New Testament. Again, off the top of my head, three or four times. One of, one of the famous places at the, is in the end of Acts, uh, uh, chapter, chapter 28. Uh, there is Paul preaching uh, to, uh, to, to the Jews in, in Rome, and they reject the gospel. And Paul says again, uh, well, well spoke the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, saying, uh, uh, speak to this people that seeing they may, uh, they, they may see and not see, hearing they may hear and not hear. He says, now the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. And so it, it occurs in other places in the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ as well. But what we're seeing, as I, said, as I said before, what we're seeing here is that the purpose of a parable is not to obscure, it's to elucidate. No man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. You see, that's, you see the thrust now. This isn't, this isn't an unrelated saying of Jesus that happens to be thrown in indiscriminately in between a, just to make a chapter of Scripture. It's here purposefully. It's in order that we might understand that yes, even while a parable may obscure truth to those whose hearts are not right, the intention by way of our Lord Jesus Christ is that the parable illuminates. Candle is not lit to be put under a bushel. It's not lit to be put under a bed. It's lit to be put on a candlestick. And he goes on in verse 22. He gives more instruction. And this is interesting. Notice what he says here in verse 22. He says, uh, for there is nothing hid which, which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but, but that it should come abroad. Now, this is interesting as well, because this is another one of the, these. These are two more sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ that are used in other places in the scripture, but in different contexts. To light a candle here means to reveal and to shine forth. In, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, we have our Lord using this expression in order that your good works might shine forth. And that people see, again, of your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He's using the same saying, but it's in a different context. We see the same thing with the idea of nothing hidden. Uh, nothing hidden. Here it's used to, and we're going we're gonna to show that our Lord is using it here to teach that whatever seems to be veiled in the teaching of the parable is ultimately to its unveiling. I'll get to that in a minute. But when it's used in Luke, this idea of nothing hidden, Luke uh, chapter 8, uh, verse, uh, uh, verse, uh, seven, or verse 12, I believe it is, he's, it's used to speak of the temporary, I'm sorry, it's used to speak of hypocrisy uncovered. And, and that's in, I'm sorry, not Luke uh, 8, but that's in Luke chapter 12, verse 2. And so what our Lord is saying, and we're more familiar with it along those lines, nothing hidden that shall not be uncovered. Hypocrisy is going to be exposed. But our Lord is not using that phrase in that way, in this passage of Scripture. 
What our Lord is doing in this passage of Scripture is the following. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. And maybe the picture is this. That in this temporary obscuring of truth to those whose minds and hearts are not right, the purpose of the parable is not defeated, we might say. That light is still going to come out. And we may have a picture along these lines. We may have a picture along these lines. That sometimes when we light a candle or we light a light to light a candle and we're moving over to the candle, what do we do as we're walking with that match or that light? We cup it, don't we? Now we're cupping it not to obscure the light. We're cupping it in order to protect the light so that when it lights the candle, the illumination will be given. Our Lord is preaching in parables not so, not so that he can not teach truth. He's doing it so that he can teach truth. There's nothing hidden that shall not be manifested. And it's the same thing in the second part that we have here. Again, uh, again, where he says there, and there is nothing kept secret that it, should, that it should come abroad. This is the purpose of teaching and preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even though he's teaching in these parables, it's not, as I said before, to keep truth obscure. It's ultimately to make light known. Now, this is interesting because, again, this is the, this is the, this is the, this is the, um, oh, what's the word, what's the word I'm looking for here? This is the wonder of the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ as a teacher and as a preacher. Sometimes we're a little baffled by the fact that our Lord does these great things and teaches this, the, 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 these wonderful teachings and people finally, they, they get who he is. They realize he's the Messiah. And what does he say? Keep it quiet. Not yet. Because in the manifestation of truth, there is a timing to that manifestation. We all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to know that we have to say something to someone, but the time just isn't right now. We got to wait. The circumstances just aren't there. And for our Lord manifesting again his Messiahship, there is a time in which it had to be done. To do it too soon, you remember what would happen. Again, they wanted to come and take, uh, make him king. It wasn't time for that. He must do his work on the cross and die. If he spoke openly about the nature of the kingdom of God, if the religious leaders were going to put him down on the spot, he couldn't have that happen. He must teach them. So he must do two things. He must complete the work of salvation on the cross. He must teach the nature of the gospel. He must teach the nature of the kingdom of God by way of his teaching. And so he uses parables. Now, once this is kind of out there, so to speak, now what our Lord gives to us, hopefully, can we say this, those who have ears to hear, Number one, he, he, he reminds us the, of the importance of that. This is why he goes immediately now to verse, to verse 23. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, it's important as to how you and I hear. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, this is a repeated statement of our Lord Jesus Christ. We might even say this. It would not be, we would not find it at all unexpected if at the end of one of his sermons, our Lord Jesus Christ said to every one of us, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. He doesn't say to them again, you're my followers, I know you got this all figured out, you're good to go, go ahead and go, go, go about your business. No, he challenges us over and over again, doesn't he? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's the same thing that we have to be confronted with as well in the preaching of the word of God. Yes, the preacher primarily is always time, he's preaching to the, he's preaching to the choir, he's preaching to the converted. Is he? 
Am I? Is there true salvation? Is there, has there been the reception of Jesus Christ by faith? You see, again, this is the pressing nature of the, of the word of God. And so again, after explaining the nature of the parable and what his intention is with it, he presses upon his ear, hearers to make sure they hear in such a way as to understand. He that has ears to hear. Well, this is the dividing point between uh, those, who, those who are in the kingdom and those who are not in the kingdom. And so again, this, press, this emphasis that our Lord is making here. Well, we come down to verse 24. And after we have this word of caution in verse 23 and verse 24, now we have this word of counsel. And he goes on to say this. And he said unto them, take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. And again, this is the same in one sense. This is just the carryover of what our Lord Jesus Christ is saying. But at this point, what he's going to begin to do, he's going to begin to, in my estimation anyway, develop what I've set before you by way of the primary doctrine of the sermon, which is that principle of increased spiritual capacity. You see, what our Lord is going to do from this moment on, he's going to show how your capacity to glorify God can be increased in this world. And I ask you the question, does that excite you? Does it mean anything to you to think that you can do, and I, and I don't make this all about you, and I don't make this all about, but again, you can live life to the glory of God. Here, John 15, 8, herein is my Father glorified, that you bring forth much fruit. What a, what a sad thing it will be to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on that day and have to give an account for all the things that have been given to us by way of opportunities, by way of talents, by way of gifts, all these things. And so our Lord is going to begin now to unfold for us this principle of increased spiritual capacity. Notice what he says here again. Again, he said unto them, take heed what you hear. And here we get into the, to the principle itself. Notice what he says in verse 24. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear, more shall be given. What we're seeing here is, again, a very, very simple principle. And we might almost say a maxim. And what I mean by that is it's just generally accepted and understood in almost any field of life. And what the principle is essentially this, is that what you put into something oftentimes is very much determined of what you get out of it. You show up someplace, you're not paying attention, and somebody says, well, how was it? I don't know. You show up someplace and you're there eagerly, and you say, but that, 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 it, was, it was fantastic, I learned so much, I did this and I did that. This is, a, this, as I said before, this is just a general maxim in life. The whole idea of, of, of on, on, the, on verse twenty on verse twenty five to him that has more shall be given. This is another general principle of life. Now we put it sarcastically in our day, something like this: you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And, and sometimes, again, the rich get richer because they're making use of what they have. I don't want to make his, I don't want to make a an economic an, an economic statement right now. But there is a general maxim there. There's a sense in which we can say this: uh, How was your, what was your crop like this year? Well, you know, I took a cup of seeds and I planted them. I didn't get too much. I want a cup of seeds. You're supposed to get a bushel out there. You see, what you bring to it determines what you get out of it very often. And so, again, this is that principle. And so what we see happening here in this, in this passage of Scripture is that in things pertaining to the kingdom of God, so much determines how you and I interact with these truths. Are we coming to hear the preaching of the word again? I hate to say it, brothers and sisters, be patient with me. Are we coming to hear the word of God or are we just coming to be here? 
Now, you know me. I've said this enough. Man, if you're here, you're, you make my day. If, you, if you're here, I'm, I'm thankful to God for it. But it's not enough to be here. So much more of it depends, so much of it depends, so much, of, so much of the benefit that you get out of this service depends on what you bring to it. And I'm not making an excuse for poor preaching on my part. And it happens sometimes. I listen to myself on sermon audio, so I know it happens sometimes. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is this. You need to come to the place of worship with a determination to do what God reveals to you in his word. And that brings us to what we would call essentially this, the principle itself. And what is this principle of increased capacity? Why well, would set it before you along these following lines? That the principle of increased capacity, and I almost don't like using that technical terminology, but I'm going to do it. The principle of, in, of increased capacity means essentially this. It is to engage the word of God in the fullness of our present capacities in order that the Holy Spirit might take the things of God and increase them in our lives. It is to come to the word of God with the full measure of who we are in order that the full measure of the word of God might increase in us. The full measure of who we are. We're, 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 we're different. Some have greater capacities than others. But all have the capacity, to have, but all have the, the opportunity to have, that capa- to have that capacity increased. And how is it increased? It is increased by the way in which we come to hear the word of God. And stop and think of now the parable of the sower. The 30, the 60, the 100 fold. Now, again, in a very real way, the 30, 60, 100 fold, in, in, in a very real way, God is, is, is determining that. But also involved in that is how we engage the teaching of Christ, how we take up the word of God, how we live out these things that God has so clearly made, uh, made known to us in the word. And as I said in the introduction, as you come to the service, bring a, bring a, bring a spoon and you get a spoonful. Bring a cup and you get a cupful. Bring a bucket. You see, again, this is, what we, this, is, this is that principle that we find over and over again in the Word of God that filters down to us in a number of different concepts. One of the favorite, Pauline, or one of Paul's favorites concept, and, and we love it here, we, we speak about it, is conformity to Christ, right? Romans 8.29, the whole idea of you being saved, God is predestined to save you. Why? In order that He might see more of Christ in you. You remember how we said it, the father loves his son so much, he wants to see as much of his son in you. How's that going to take place? It takes place by way of the principle of increased spiritual capacity. You and I will be more conformed to the image of Christ when we bring all of who we are to the teaching of the word of God in order that all of that passage of scripture, all that section of the word of God might might, might drop in us and increase out. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's like that seed that goes into the ground. Sometimes we have to make sure that there's not anything under that ground. We have to do that plowing up work. But then in time, that seed brings forth fruit, some 60, some 30, some 100 fold. This idea of increased spiritual capacity. Paul has another, uh, another uh, category that he uses. More than a category, but I'll just use the word. He uses, he, he uses another category. It's this idea of, of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. The way to be filled with the Spirit, again, is to take advantage of that increased spiritual capacity. If I'm I'm constricting the work of the Spirit within me, 
it's going to be very, very difficult to see an increase of the work of the Spirit upon me. Now, the Spirit of God, again, is sovereign. He can work through all of my, all my hard-headedness and won't take nothing away from that. And we'll thank God for every time that He does it. But generally speaking, in the approach of the Christian life, you know the words of the Apostle Paul. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Why? Because in doing those things, you constrict His work within you. And so again, this principle of increased spiritual capacity, come to the Word of God with all that you are in the full measure of who you are. With what measure you meet, it shall be meted out to you. Come in the full measure of who you are, that the full measure of the Word of God can drop in you and expand you out, increase capacity. We see this again in other places in the Word of God where, where the emphasis is given in a very real way by way of the, by way of the command uh, to increase in the Christian life. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 10. He says that you may be fruitful. Again, John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. That you may be fruitful. Fruitfulness, again, has to be cultivated. It has to be increased. It doesn't take place, again, apart from proper care. Take, uh, that you may be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You will never increase in the knowledge of God unless you enlist this principle of increased spiritual capacity. Now, I have to admit, I am a little, uh, I am a little reluctant to use that kind of technical terminology, increased spiritual capacity. Sounds like we're talking, you know, I don't know, something in physics or something like that. But again, I, I think it's appropriate to, 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 to the text. I think that's what our Lord is talking about, this increased spiritual capacity. We see it in another, play, uh, another passage of Scripture of Paul's. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10, that ye increase more and more. It's the desire, it's the longing, it's apostolic desire for the people of God that we increase. Well, how can we increase? Oh, I wish I could increase. I wish I could do more for God. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. And it's the principle of increased spiritual capacity. One man, a very famous writer of, uh, of 50 years ago, 50, 60, maybe 70 years ago now, uh, A.W. Tozer, he has a, he has a quote that's, that, 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 that keeps coming up in all these other different authors, and I think it's first attributed to him. And he says something along these lines. He says, you and I are just as close to God as we want to be. When all's said and done, God's not pr pr putting any barriers between our, our walk with him and where he's at. You and I, in one sense, are just as holy as we want to be. God's not presenting any barriers there. And what I want you to see here is this. From this specific passage of Scripture, the principle of increased capacity comes about when you and I bring all that we are to the hearing and to the ministry of the Word of God and allow the Word of God to have its full measure in us. And in that way, there is a spiritual increase. Amen. Now, ultimately, it's God who determines the 30, the 60, and the 100. But if God, but you and I, will never get to the 30 or the 60, or the 100, unless we understand this principle of, of increasing spiritual capacity. My brothers and sisters, there is a world of excitement and joy that is open to those who will live by this principle. Go back to the parable that we started with this morning, the parable of the talents. Who was it that was miserable in the end? The one who took his talent and did nothing with it. Who was it that heard the words of the master? Well done. You've been faithful over a little. I'll make you faithful over much. The capacity was increased and the increased blessing was given. My Christian friends, this life has all troubles and trials. I understand that. There's thorns. I understand that. There's rocks. We get all that. 
But you see, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the tail end of this parable of the sower, puts these five verses here in order that you and I might understand how we can increase our usefulness to Him, our capacity to serve Him, and ultimately the glory that goes to His name. Let's pray. Our